You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. Hi, everybody. My name is Brittany Moore. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the Vineyard, and it's nice to have Sunday morning to spend together. Uh, we're going to hang out with Jesus. We're going to hang out with each other, and we're going to grow because we come together for the purpose of being changed, right? We don't just come because it's like a fun tradition I don't think anybody gets up on Sunday morning because they're like, you know, I just wish I had more to do. Uh, We get together because we know that in the presence of God, our lives start to make sense. We understand our purpose and our calling, and we begin to grow as people. And so we enjoy being with him and one another. If you're joining us for the first time online, thanks for tuning in. Please use our digital connect card to connect with us. And if you're here in person, whether you've been here no times or millions of times, One of our Connect cards, digital or in-person, really helps us to walk the journey out together, right? We're not always in the same building together, so if you have things that you would like prayer for, if you would like counseling, if there's just needs in your life, or even connections you'd like to make, use that card, let us know, and we will get in touch with you. We are sort of in our last message message about the Old Testament after two years. Next Sunday is going to be a little bit different. We had to blitz through. If you think about how long the Old Testament is, it's longer than the New Testament, and we've done it in, yes, just shy of two years. And so there's definitely still questions you have about stuff. There's still questions I have about stuff. And so next Sunday is going to be an open forum. I'm going to send you a link tomorrow in the weekly email, so you should be getting that. Check your email. If you're not in there, fill out the Connect card. Give us your email. We'll sign you up. But you'll have an opportunity in advance to just say, hey, I want to know more about this passage or this topic, or what do you think about this part of our theology? Like, you didn't explain it super well. So next Sunday, instead of doing a traditional message, we'll Q&A about the Old Testament. So if you have questions, send them in. If you forget, we might be able to take some on the spot, depending on how many we get during the week. Okay? So what are you going to do next week, this coming week? Send me questions. Yay! Very good, guys. I'm not all hip and cool and like do those things on Instagram where people are like, I'll fill all this stuff out. But we'll have a good time next week. We'll have a good conversation. So you came back. Unless you weren't here last week and then you're like, what did I come back to? Last week we had a conversation about Song of Songs or in some translations, Song of Solomon, which is a a story, a book of poetry about... Thank you. Okay, a couple people paid attention too. You wouldn't get so embarrassed that you were like, Haha, I'm never coming to church again. Um, it's intense, right? It was intense. I had some intense conversations this week. How many of you talked about this beyond Sunday? Yeah, a few people. Yeah, a bunch of people. That's good. It means that the word settled someplace. It was a lot. When describing the sexual relationship between a man and a woman, Song of Songs in the Bible doesn't just call it the most powerful human experience, the most pleasurable human experience, or the most celebrated human experience. Song of Songs says it is the experience beyond all experiences. It is without compare in our human, in our human existence. And as part of the genre known as Hebrew wisdom literature, it was put in the Bible for a reason. You get to this eight chapters and you're like, this is weird. Why is this here? It wasn't a mistake. (laughs) They weren't like, we just need to put some filler in there. Let's just add these last couple eight chapters to make it a certain number of pages. They put it in there because if you think about some of the things that you most need wisdom on, 
some of the topics that require probably the most care or thought, relationships and sex are really going to be close to your list, the top of your list. They might be at the top, top one and two. And so they put it in there for a reason. They said if we can show people, especially young people, the intention and the purpose behind this gift from the Lord, then they can live into it in such a way that it brings goodness and fullness and wholeness to their life. But we know from living in a broken world that that's not how most of us would talk about sex or relationships, right? Does anybody in here have all perfect relationships all the time? I was going to be like, you can come up and preach. Nobody? Oh, yeah. Me either, right? We can all come to the same understanding this morning that none of us have walked through life without experiencing pain when it comes to relationships. We're all on the same plane. This is a common human experience, and that's why we need the wisdom in Song of Songs to help us move beyond that, and I think back to Eden. I think that God, through this book in particular, and through his son Jesus, calls out to his bride, calls out to the church and says, yes, relationships are really messy on earth, but you can begin to experience them as if it were heaven here and now. That we don't have to wait. Doesn't mean there won't be work, but we don't have to wait. So that's where we're going to go this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive back into Song of Songs. Uh, Jesus, relationships are so complex and tricky and sometimes scary or painful. And you didn't create them for any of that. <laughs> you created them to be really good and nourishing and whole and, and part of our very expression of you. And I, I want that. And I want that for our congregation. And so would you bring revelation this morning, Holy Spirit, that stirs us and changes us and challenges us? And would you empower us to step back into the garden and the dynamic that you've created us for, Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to go a little bit backwards to last week before I spring forwards. And part of that's because not everybody was here. Not everybody's had a chance to hear the message. And part of it's because it's so important that, you know, Jesus repeats things in the Bible over and over again. Paul really repeats things. So it's okay for us to hear the same things over again because it helps it to sink into a place where it's not just here, but here. So what we discovered, the conclusion we came to, is that sex within the context of a healthy marriage was intended by God to be the epitome of human connection. But it points to something far greater than just pleasure, right? That's really important, but that's not where it ends. There's no period there. It's actually like a comma. When we look at Song of Songs, when we look at Proverbs, when we look at Genesis, when we really look at the dynamic of male-female relationships throughout the whole of the scriptures, what we discover is that they point to something innate within all of humanity. Can any of you guess what that is? If you were on the Alpha Weekend, that was like my whole, the whole second video. Uh, Song of Songs and Genesis and all the dynamics that we see between male-female relationships in the Bible all point to an innate human longing that we all have, which is to be loved. Yes, right? I was literally watching the Alpha video and thinking, oh, well, it's like a prequel. Or maybe they can just say they did it better, but none of you are going to be rude like that to me. But what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. I know Dan's like, I'm going to make a thing out of that too. I know. Mm -mm. Anyway, what is love? Jesus. 
That's a good answer, Connie. But other people have different opinions, so what do you think? Unless everyone's just going to do the Sunday school answer. <laughs> just Jesus. Go ahead, Logan. Yes, okay, good. What else is love? Christmas. Logan? Dogs. What? Being seen. Being heard. Ooh, that's really good, Joey. Thank you. Unconditional without circumstances. Nice. This is a beautiful picture of love that we're beginning to uncover. And I think you're all tagging on exactly what it's supposed to be. It's a lot harder to experience it, if we're honest, all those things that you just brought up, especially dogs. My dog, I'm like, please don't lick me because I know what you do outside. Um, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, we, we know that we need love. Even society honors this, science, psychology. Everybody says that humans need love. We cannot develop in a healthy way as children or adults without the experience of love. And we all have an idea of what love should be. It should be unconditional. It should be, it should be feeling seen and heard and safe and accepted and belonging. But moving from what it should be to actually experiencing it is really challenging. And that's where I think the Lord is, uh, is leaning this morning. He uses a word in Hebrew to bring a significant amount of clarity to what we're longing for. And I think when we can really get to the root of that, it helps us to know how to discover it in our human experience. But you find this throughout, and I'm just going to pull one passage, Exodus 34, verse 6, when God's talking to Moses. He says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And the word that we find there that's translated in the NLT as unfailing love is the Hebrew word hesed, which like many words in English, is really hard for us to fully translate. In fact, you find so many different iterations of it, depending on the Bible that you're reading, the translation you're using. The Wycliffe Bible and the ESV both translate said as steadfast love, but King James and Geneva both translate it as goodness. Logan, there is a slide for this. Young's literal translation uses the word kindness. The World English Bible uses two words, loving kindness, NASB says faithfulness, NIV simply translates it as love, and the Bible Project uses the phrase loyal love. And the reason that this matters is because hesed is, God says, I am this thing, which he later reiterates in the New Testament when he says, I am love. I'm not like love, I am the literal definition of love. And yet in the English, we're like, well, okay, that means I feel good, I think. And God says, my love, what love is, is so much greater than anything you could even come up with an English word for. And the closest we can get is this kind of concept of loyal or faithful or long-suffering love. Or what I've kind of phrased it as a loyal commitment to be generous to someone for the long run. This is what biblical love, this is hesed, this is what this really means. It's this idea of Looking and seeing someone, oh wow, that came out as a funky color. That's the word generous in case your eyes are as bad as mine. It's a loyal commitment to be generous to someone for the long run. It's, it's saying, I am for you, I am with you, I am beside you, and I'm not going anywhere. And within that, 
I'm going to express compassion and empathy and grace to you over and over and over again because that's what love is. And when you think about that definition of love, who does it sound like? Jesus. It sounds like Jesus because it is Jesus. Who said that? Connie said that. She was like, I'm just going to put a period right on your question from the very get-go. Paul helps us to begin to further understand this magnitude, this beauty, this this heart of God that is love when he talks in 1 Corinthians 13 and he says love is patient and kind and you just can insert Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit's name right here God is not jealous or boastful or proud the Holy Spirit does not demand his own way he's not irritable and he doesn't keep any record of wrongs Jesus doesn't rejoice about injustice but rejoices when the truth wins out The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit never give up, never lose faith, and are always hopeful, enduring through every circumstance. God is love, has said, and we as his kids are wired to need him. We are wired to long for him. We don't always recognize that that's our longing, But even, like I said, science recognizes that we need love and we cannot thrive and be healthy and grow into strong and confident adults without God, without love. And so this is the kind of longing that we have is to be connected to God because God loves us back with a faithfulness and a loyalty and a conditionlessness and a safety that allows us to be who we are before him without fear. Perfect love casts out fear. God wants us to come to him as we are because that's what he created us to be is in this kind of harmonious relationship with him where we just are. One of the most powerful things I heard in the last five years is that God's not look, Jesus isn't looking for followers. He's looking for friends. Jesus wants to know you and hang out with you and watch TV with you and go to the grocery store and, and go take care of the cat and raise your kids and be in your relationships. He's not just looking for this undying loyalty where you you almost are like, you're so good, but I, I don't know you. He says, I want you to hang out with me because I am your best friend. I want you to hang out with me because you, you cannot actually live healthy apart from me. And so he's drawing us back to that He's created us for that. In fact, we find so much of this in the, in the first part of the Bible. In Genesis 1.26, we read this classic passage. God spoke, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and said, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature. And for like the longest time, I'm like, oh, that means we look like God, right? Anybody else think that? You're like reflecting our nature or looking like us. And I'm like, oh, I physically, this is what God must look like. This is confusing, but okay. But if we look into that text, what it really is saying is that we were made to reflect the character of God to the world, which makes sense when you look at the rest of the passage about our job, which is to be his, his leaders on earth, to do the things he did, to keep doing them, um, kind of like landlords and property managers. If God owns earth, then we're like supposed to be the property managers that are doing his thing and, and fulfilling his wishes on earth. And to do that, he says, I put my nature in you. I put this need for love and intimacy and connection within you. So we were created by love, for love. It's the most essential desire that any one of us has. 
But this is where it gets so sticky for everyone in the room, including myself. We want it, we need it, but we cannot experience love outside of the context of relationship. Because love and relationship are synonymous with one another. Because God is love and God is three people in one. Judah asked me what that meant this week. And I tried to explain it to a three-year-old and I don't think I did it well. So I don't know that I can explain it any better to you, the mystery of faith that is the Trinity. There's some things that just are mysterious. But this is the reality. Love is the Father, love is the Son, and love is the Holy Spirit working in perfect selfless union with one another. And we were created to be in that dynamic with them, which means we need God and we need relationships. And that's really painful because sometimes both of those things hurt for a variety of reasons. I don't need to go into all of them. But it just is that the Lord has given us these two extremely beautiful gifts and the enemy knows the power, knows the capacity, knows the gifting, the authority that rests on the gift that is love and the gift that is relationship and our ability as human beings to experience the divine on this human plane because God has put those things down here for us to enjoy. And this is why in a healthy marriage, sex is so powerful because it's the epitome of all of that. It's the physical demonstration of oneness. But even if you're not in a, in a married, married relationship and sex isn't on the table for you, the power and authority that rests on relationships is still incomparable to anything else. And this is why the enemy comes after them with such a fierceness and a ferociousness trying to destroy everything that God made good and sour it for us. He wants all of our concepts of love and relationships to be filled with shame and guilt and pain and hurt so that we become people who build walls and cut ourselves off from God and each other. Because if that's where the most power, if that's the incomparable experience, if love and relationships are this, this picture of the living God and he's put them into his creation and he's given us the capacity to know him and experience him and, and feel that here, if the enemy can break that off, then what he's really trying to do is break us off from our intimacy and our connection with God. And that is, it, when he isolates us, that is the easiest way to defeat us or to break us or to bury us alive. He wants to do everything he can to infect intimacy so it's the polar opposite of the goodness that God created it for. And he does this by making love selfish. If Jesus is selfless love, if the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit exist in selfless love, then the enemy's strategy is to make our love selfish. And so instead of coming into relationship with that steadfast loyalty and that compassion and that, that long-term intimacy, like I'm, gonna, I'm here to, to serve and to give and to just be here to champion you, instead of doing that, the guy's fighting over potato chips in case you're curious. I saw that. I was like, yes, that is our house. Don't eat my chip. Judah, just a quick, just to break up the tension if you're feeling any. I made myself lunch and put some potato chips on my plate and Judah does this really sweet thing as an th almost three-year-old where he's like, can I have your chips? I'm like, yes, Judah, you can have one. And he shoves it in his mouth and crunches it and he's like, 
another? Oh. Fine, take all of them. This is not a selfless relationship on your part. You're taking all my chips. Um, but I'm your mom, so I will keep giving them to you. But when we bring this selfish attitude past our chips and into our relationships, it becomes a lot more than just somebody's hungry. It actually becomes a weapon. Selfishness is a, a destructive weapon um, that takes all of the gifts of intimacy, sex, relationship, oneness, love, and all the things that God meant for us to experience the divine on earth, and instead it becomes hell on earth. And if you've been in a bad relationship or you've experienced sexual trauma, that's exactly how you'd probably describe it, right? Romans 1, 21 to 22 and 24 kind of hits on this for us, right? Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And so they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. And claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And when they turned to that selfishness, this is what God says happens. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. It's so graphic without being graphic because you know the stories. You've watched Dateline or the news, and you know what huma humanity has the capacity to do to other human beings. Maybe you've been subjected to that. And that's painful because it's wrong, and we know it's wrong. We know it's not okay when people hurt one another like this. We understand that also in the core of our being. And yet humanity is almost stuck on this hamster wheel where they can't seem to break free from it because the enemy wants us to be selfish and to think that we are the center of the universe and that everything in our lives exists just for us. And that is the root behind painful and broken relationships and, and all the iterations that come out of that, whether it's abuse or trauma or porn or affairs or any you know, bad friendships and people stabbing each other in the back. It all comes out of selfishness, which is meant by the enemy to destroy everything that God created good. There is only one way. There is only one way to be loved and to love so that it fills our souls and brings hope and healing to the world. It cannot be bought or forced or manipulated. There is only one way that we can truly have access to that, and it's through Jesus. Because truly, if we don't have him, then I don't know how to go about relationships in a way that's healthy. Because we're all people. And as much as we're growing in Christ, we still do people-y things sometimes, right? We probably all have somebody that we owe an apology to. You know? We all have somebody who owes us an apology, I'm sure, <laughs> if we're being honest this morning. And Jesus has come to interrupt that downward spiral that we watch through the entire Old Testament. That's why we see it, right? We see the entire Old Testament as the spiral into darkness because of humanity's selfishness. And Jesus says, I'm here to interrupt that. And I do that through Jesus, who is the embodiment of Hesed, right? He's the image of the perfect God, which means Jesus is love with a body. I think the message is the one that puts it, love moved into the neighborhood. Love showed up on earth and said, I'm going to put on flesh and bones and walk among you so that you can see what love is supposed to look like in your context. Right? We didn't all like go up to heaven so God's like, I can show you what it's like to be here. We've gotten enough of those through Ezekiel and Jeremiah that I think we're all like, 
Sounds interesting, Jesus, to be up there with you. There's a lot of eyeballs and ox heads. If you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, go back and listen to the Ezekiel sermons. Um, Hopefully there's some pictures somewhere floating around online. But Jesus came and moved into the neighborhood. He said, you don't know how to do this thing that I have created for you. You don't know what it's like for love to live in you. You don't know what it's like to live out love among you. And it's causing so much pain and chaos. I'm not going to destroy the world. I'm going to show up and begin to fix it by modeling for you the beauty of that. And so he came, and not only does he show us through his life all of the process, but then through his living and then dying on the cross and then rising again, Jesus shows us how to enjoy love. Romans 5, 8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And this is the good news, that God doesn't hate you. If you ever want to consolidate it, you're like, I don't know how to tell people the good news. God doesn't hate you. Because most people think that. If they don't know him, they have some, either he's not real or if he is real, I don't measure up and he hates me. And Jesus said, that's not good news. This is good news. God doesn't hate you. He loves you so much that love came and entered the neighborhood to show you how much he loved you. Where did Jesus go? To hang out with the sinners. He wasn't afraid of them ashamed of them, disappointed in them. He showed up to reveal to them that God loved them, and then he offered them a lifeline back into healing. Right? He wasn't like, oh, it's good for you. I'm here. He said, you see your brokenness. I'm with you. Let me make you whole again. Let me put you back together so that you can actually live in this world and begin to enjoy the life that God gave you, even if circumstances are still tricky. Because I want your wholeness to begin to manifest now. And so when we bow to King Jesus, just like the people we see who bow to him in the New Testament, when we make him our king, we give him our allegiance, our citizenship goes from being whatever about me and myself and all about Brittany to all about Jesus, he becomes the person that I listen to and follow wholeheartedly. Then he says, the first thing I do is I make you a new person. We're told that in Corinthians. And part of being made a new person is we are reconnected to love. We are reconnected to the divine. We are back in Eden, if you will, walking in intimacy with God without fear or shame or guilt. That you can have today. If you feel guilt or shame or whatever about your past and the things you've done, even this morning, you're like coming here and you're like, oh, this is the wrong morning, but I showed up. Bless you for showing up because Jesus is telling you this morning through me, you do not need to live with guilt or shame anymore. The good news is that you can be reconnected to love. And when you and love are in a relationship, when you and the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are in a relationship, there need not be fear. Because God did not send Jesus to condemn you, but to receive you and restore you back to him. That's good news. We should all be like, yeah, that's cool. Like, I'll sign up for that. Where's the, there's no hook on this, guys. I'm not about to come down and like, fire is going to fall from our ceiling. At least not not on purpose. Um, (laughs) Some days I'm like, I wish we had a fireplace to warm this place up. But first and foremost, healthy relationships are back within our reach because Jesus has reconnected us to heaven. He is heaven come down, like we sang about this morning. Good shout, Imani. Um, To gather us, to collect his kids and say, listen, you're making a mess. I'm going to step down and show you for a minute how to do this right so that I can release you to go and do it on your own. 
It's really no different than parenting. My son frequently needs me to like show him how to do something the first couple of times, and then he just does it. Bo the other day, I said, oh, you know, I'm doing something, but we need to get your jammies on. He's like, I got it, ma. And I was like, that's right. You know how to do those most basic of things because I've showed you again and again and again with compassion and grace. Jesus came down to reconnect us to love. Bow to him if you haven't. I mean, it's not an easy thing. You're signing up to give over total control of your life when you give him your total surrender and sacrifice. But like Imani said this morning, and like many of us would testify in this room, there is nothing better than being connected to love and knowing that he knows my name and sees me and cares about me and wants to put me back together. So first and foremost, this relationship is restored. Sorry, I'm doing this. This is very personal. This relationship is restored between us and the Father. But secondly, he came to also restore us back to healthy relationship with other people. Like He's like, this is wonderful, and I, I created you for this, but I also created you for this. Man is not an island. We cannot live alone and experience love without relationships. And so Jesus said, yeah, the world is still really selfish, and so are we. We're, we're going to try and get that scrubbed out of you. But I'm going to give you a safe place to practice loving one another selflessly. Can any of us guess what that safe place is supposed to be? The church. Thank you, Terry. Yes. Jesus says, yes, you need to practice living out selfless love now. And it's a long process. It's a journey of slow and steady obedience to say, ooh, I feel a twinge of selfishness and I want to assert myself right here. But I'm learning in this context to that we're, we're supposed to do relationship different than any other part of the world. The church should not look like the rest of the world in the way that we relate to one another. That's why Paul says there's neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Greek. We are supposed to have this radical unity because selfless love is what holds us together. Selfless love is the only reason we know each other, right? Jesus. Jesus is the reason we're here this morning. He is the anchor point for us. And he is the reason that we are all in this building, in this place. And he gave us one another so that we could begin to practice Eden on earth. We could begin to go back to that dynamic of, of learning how to love somebody and prioritize them above ourselves. And that feels really scary at first because you think, well, then my needs won't be met. But herein lies the rub. In selfless relationships, your needs are met because everybody else in the room is thinking of your best while you think of theirs. That's what the church is supposed to look like. That's worth fighting for. That's worth saying, I have conflict right now and I'm not going to run away. I'm going to go handle my business with honor because that person offended me and I know what we can do better than that. I know we can grow past that. I know our relationship can get stronger than that hurt, that offense. That is why protecting this dynamic is so important. Because here God says you have the opportunity to reveal to the world who I am. I don't know that we've ever recognized how significant Jesus' new command is in John when he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. 
love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other, which means serving, being faithful. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Relationships are not a choice in the church. If we have yielded ourselves to Jesus, we have yielded ourselves to trying to do them well in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't, then we're not showing the world Jesus the way that our relationships are supposed to. This is where, this is where miracles are birthed from. This is where healing births from. This is where people's lives getting put back together comes out of, is yielding to Jesus and experiencing his love here and then practicing it here. It is extremely important that we handle our marriages well if we're married. That we handle our friendships with honor and integrity. That we go to work and find a way to talk respectfully about our coworkers and our bosses. That we practice parenting in a way that honors God. That we learn to love even ourselves and see ourselves the way that the Father sees us. You thought sex was hard. This is sitting a lot harder on you. I can see it on your faces. Because sex isn't something we have to do, right? I don't have to get married. I can just like, whatever. But relationships, we don't have a choice about. And Jesus doesn't want us to think about it that way. Like, oh my gosh, I have to be nice to that person. (laughs) Jesus wants us to be excited about this because it's supposed to bring life to us. So yeah, it's tricky. But it's also this place of total bliss when we begin to do it with honor and integrity. It's worth leaning into that. I want to read one passage from Jesus and ask you a question. In Matthew 20, he says, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, talking to his disciples, among the church, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, me, myself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life, give his life, give my life, Jesus' life, as a ransom for many. As we wrap up Song of Songs this morning, as we think about, and you're like, we didn't even, I had a verse from there, we didn't end up hitting it, but it's okay. As we wrap up Song of Songs in this really deep conversation about relationships and sexuality and, and all of the dynamics, what is one way, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but what is one way that you think God is telling you or calling you to shift your mindset or attitude about relationships to be like Jesus? I'm going to give you a minute to just think about that. You can write it on your bulletin or the Connect card or tap it into your phone. What is one way this morning that God is calling you to shift your mindset or attitude about relationships to be more like Jesus? 